Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Very glad to have you with us today for the Friday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. Your stool is ready. We've got good, bad, and crazy martinis for conservatives today. And the Democrats are genuinely in the good martini today. So mark that day down uh, in history. But Jim, first, of course, today is considered Earth Day. And uh, every year... uh, NBC goes green with their peacock logo, and everybody's got some sort of environmental story about how the planet's about to literally catch on fire, and if we don't do anything drastic in the next few years, everybody's going to die and that sort of thing. But you and I uh, like to point out, and thanks to our friend Biased Girl, uh, who you have hosted a podcast with uh, in the past, and I've interacted with a bit on Twitter, she always points out that the co-founder of Earth Day uh, murdered his girlfriend, stuffed her in a trunk inside a closet, and then fled the country after after he was arrested for that, after she was uh, composting, you might say, in the trunk for a year and a half. So uh, that's the real history of Earth Day. The composting is the cherry on top, right? If you know, oh, the guy who founded Earth Day is a murderer, sure. But composting his girlfriend, I think we got to give him credit, Greg. That's being committed to your principles and also being a psycho. <laughs> sure, it's just a coincidence also that Earth Day is on Lenin's birthday. So not part of the the lefty movement at all. But of course, my favorite joke uh, when it comes to the environmental movement is, is that uh, environmentalists are like watermelons, green on the outside, red on the inside. So uh, we'll see. uh, We'll see where that goes. But anyway, let's get to our good martini. Uh, And that is actually, yeah, the Democratic Party. Uh, And they've been a little bit frustrated in uh, recent years about uh, Iowa continuing to have the first in the nation caucus. And that's understandable, Jim, when you consider that they haven't had an actual clear winner of the Democratic Iowa caucus since 2008 with Barack Obama. You remember that Hillary versus Bernie went to a coin flip series that somehow Hillary won each one of those. And then in 2020, uh, they couldn't get their voting done correctly that night. And then Buttigieg ended up with more delegates, but Bernie ended up with more votes. It's just all very chaotic, the whole system. But now, according to The Hill... Democratic National Committee members say Iowa Democrats may not be allowed to go first in 2024 and may not even be included in the list of early contests. That's prompting jockeying among other states for the chance to be included in the initial lineup, which Democrats are considering expanding to five. Donna Brazil, member of the DNC's Rules and Bylaws Committee, yeah, she's still around. The 2024 presidential cycle is not about subtraction, but addition which will create its own momentum. Under any scenario, the other three early voting states, New Hampshire, Nevada, and South Carolina, would most likely be safe somewhere on the early roster. Now, it's not just the fact that they have a hard time actually determining a winner in Iowa, which would be enough, but of course, uh, Democrats have a problem with Iowa now because it's too white. Uh, they have racial and gender concerns there, and they don't uh, see it as as having an advantage because uh, the winners of Iowa and even New Hampshire in some cases don't really end up doing that great the rest of the primary season, so it's not necessarily a good test. So, Jim, you and I have had problems with Iowa just kind of having that spot uh, at the beginning of both parties' uh, primary season. So what do you make of this? You and I don't usually say, way to go, Democratic Party, way to go. And there's a long ways to go on this, but this looks like the most serious movement to end the tradition of Iowa beginning the presidential selection nomination process, uh, you know, ever. And it is worthwhile because if you think about it, you you went through the history, but Greg, there was a time on like January 4th or 5th of 2020, we're like, oh my God, can you believe the Iowa Democratic Caucus still doesn't have a winner? 
this is going to be the biggest disaster of 2020. <laughs> and uh, it had a lot of competition. In fact, it really got lapped by a whole bunch of other disasters that year. But nonetheless, it was kind of ridiculous. And there are certain people who think, no, Iowa should continue to be the first state in the selection process. We call these people Iowans. And there are other people who don't think it should be the first one in the process, which we call everybody else in America. Um, because of it, we end up having all kinds of policy issues in both parties that kind of get twisted inside out. I think it's safe to say that ethanol subsidies would not be as uh, high and long lasting and such a feature in our agricultural policy if it were not for the Iowa caucuses going first. Um, in the Republican side, the for at least for a really long time, the traditional um, religious right Christian conservative vote was really an overwhelming chunk of the uh, vote in Iowa. Now, there's nothing wrong with those folks, but then you'd go to New Hampshire, and as one of my uh, friends once described it, everybody in New your average Republican voter in New Hampshire is a guy with three days of growth on his face, a red flannel shirt, who runs a uh, part-time snowplow business. Um, and we're much more libertarian. And generally their thing was, uh, you know, how are you going to lower my taxes, right? And so you end up, and then by that, you know, the field would go, even from the recent crazy years where we've had 20 candidates or something like that, usually it would go from like the seven dwarves of the Democrats, seven, six, seven, eight, a group of them. By the time it got out of New Hampshire, it was down to like two or three. The 48 other states are looking at this and saying, wait a minute, wait, wait, why, why do we not matter? Why is it that the corn growers and then the snowplow drivers get to be the first two who eliminate, you know, a good chunk of our options? So that we, and then really by the end of it, oftentimes South Carolina was doing the deciding blow. It's, it's lasted a little bit longer these last couple cycles. But by and large, Iowa has this unbelievably disproportionate, you know, say in who gets to be president. And I don't necessarily buy into the idea that they are too white, but you could definitely say both in terms of economics, in terms of industry, in terms of demographics, they're just not representative of the rest of the country. And it's not fair for them to go first every single time. Now, the other thing which is uh, I, I would like to see come out of this is given it, you know, I hadn't realized how much I disliked the caucus process until the last couple cycles where you, know, you think about it, you know, in, in the general election, you know, your, your ballot is secret. Right? The government records whether or not you voted, um, but there's no record saying that you voted for this person that somebody can you know, go back and look on. Uh, it's nobody's business who you voted for. You don't have to say who you voted for. Lots of people are very open and proud and all that stuff, but you know what? But at the caucus, you can you stand in a you publicly stand with the group of your candidate. And I think you know that you mentioned Obama's win in 2008. I mean, you had neighbors accusing neighbors of being racist for not voting for Obama back in the Iowa Democratic caucuses because these people liked uh, Hillary Clinton or the illustrious John Edwards. Now, I don't know about you, Greg. I hear that anecdote. I'm like, oh, good. So what it is is Republican, uh, Democrats just call everybody racist when they don't get their way, uh, <laughs> even other Democrats. And so we should never take this personally and know that it never really means anything. It's it's now a synonym for I don't like you, right? Uh, but nonetheless, the, you know, the idea of you have to publicly take a stance. You got it. If you're working nights, you're, you're SOL, so to speak. Um, if you can't get a sitter and you're a parent, you're, you've got a problem. Uh, there's a bad weather, you know, there's all kinds of factors that makes it very much tougher for you to show. And of course, turnout in a caucus is much lower than turnout in primary. So the first thing is I like to get rid of caucuses in general. I'd also love to get rid of uh, Iowa going first. Maybe the Democrats are going to do this. And yes, this does seem like a good way for holding them accountable. If you're going to get to go first and you're going to get all these candidates placating to you and all these advertising dollars and all this kind of stuff, 
you have this bare minimum obligation to make sure that the software works and make sure that you can count the votes and get us an answer at a decent hour on election night. And so, yeah, Iowa deserves to be punished, particularly the Iowa Democratic Party. I'm sure the Iowa Republicans are kind of irked and saying, look, we didn't do anything. Why are you mad at us? But in the end, Iowa's gotten to go first for a long, long time. In my perfect system, it would work on a rotation and you'd have a um, ideally, I think, by the way, you'd start with the smallest states, which are probably the easiest to run in, least expensive to run in, and then work your way up to the biggest states, the New Yorks, the Texases, the Californias, and stuff like that. But uh, nobody ever wants to you know, hear my plan. But at least finally, we might be breaking up a very old and tired, and I think a very old, tired system that I don't think serves the interests of the country very well. I think the point you made there right at the end is the strongest argument for keeping Iowa or some other small state there. It's a place where retail politics can work well. You don't have to have uh, a really big bank account to get your message out because you've got all that time to get your name out there and get people interested in your campaign. Doesn't have to be Iowa, though. Uh, you know, like you said, it could be a rotating basis. Uh, but going from smaller to larger, I think, does make some sense. Not sure that that's what the Democrats have in mind here because the Hill is listing Michigan, Minnesota, New Jersey, Arizona, and Washington as uh, potential early voting states as well. And, you know, uh, some of those are going to be pretty hard to do with small budgets. I'm thinking New Jersey and Michigan in particular, uh, but we'll see what they come up with. I mean, no state is going to be perfectly representative of the rest of them, but that's why you, know, you should rotate it around. But at minimum, you should try to start with one that isn't wildly unlike every other state. And that's kind of, uh, Iowa is a very, has a very tough time making the claim to be that. Do we know yet who won between Romney and Santorum in 2012 on the Republican side? <laughs> I think they're still counting. I think they got a check. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, there's there's been some uh, tabulation problems there over the years. But OK, uh, in the meantime, more good news. The uh, MyPillow six-piece towel set offer is still there. Uh, and it is a phenomenal deal because it's a quality product and you can save a ton. And in these inflationary times... Any deal like this you can get, you should make sure you take advantage of. I do love the towels. Sincerely, they're big, they're soft, they're fluffy, they get me dry very quickly, and they hold up well wash after wash. The MyPillow six-piece towel set is regularly $109.99, but now it's yours for just $39.99 a set. The MyPillow six-piece towel set is made from cotton grown right here in the United States. Now, other towels might feel good, but they don't absorb very well. Or maybe they absorb well, but they don't feel good on your skin. They've got that lotion-y feel. Well, every MyPillow towel is made from proprietary technology that makes them highly absorbent and soft to the touch. Every set comes with two bath towels, two hand towels, and two washcloths. They're available in a variety of colors and sizes. They're machine washable, and they come with a 60-day money-back guarantee and a one-year limited warranty. For a limited time, get the MyPillow six-piece towel set regularly $109.99 for only $39.99 with the promo code MARTINI. Visit MyPillow.com slash MARTINI or call 800-874-0104. You'll also find deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including the MyPillow mattress topper, MyPillow Giza Dream Sheets, and so much more. Get your six-piece MyPillow towel set for only $39.99 today at MyPillow.com slash MARTINI or call 800-874-0104. One more time, mypillow.com slash martini. All right, Jim, on to the bad martini, which could end up being a temporary good martini on Election Day uh, for the Republicans. But you don't want to win when the national security and the sovereignty of this country is under direct assault. As we have uh, documented here, President Biden is planning to lift Title 42, the Remain in Mexico policy, uh, on May 23rd, so a month from tomorrow. And... 
more than a few Democrats now are coming out and saying, uh, this is not a good idea. I'd really like you to reconsider this. Kirsten Cinema certainly is one of them. Mark Kelly actually said something in public about this, which is, uh, you know, he's apparently not on the milk carton anymore. And then Maggie Hassan, who, of course, also has a tough uh, re-election uh, race in front of her, even went to the border to cut a spot talking about how she was differing from Biden on this. Uh, but guess what? He doesn't care. Facing a growing rebellion, Politico says, from within the Democratic Party, the White House is standing behind its decision to end on May 23rd, a Trump-era deportation policy for migrants encountered at the southern border. That decision to end the use of the public health order known as Title 42 has placed President Biden in a political bind. The president is attempting to balance his long-standing promise to revoke the policy, which under the banner of fighting the COVID pandemic, justified the immediate expulsion of migrants without due process. And here comes the fun part. Right as Republicans weaponize immigration before the midterms and as a growing number of Democratic senators want restrictions to remain in place for fear that the administration is not prepared for a summer surge of migrants to the border. So, Jim, it's the Democrats who are having a a full-out brawl here. Of course, Politico has to inject that Republicans are pouncing. Yeah, weaponizing, no less. You know, I think we're going to (laughs) start grabbing illegal immigrants and throwing them at swing state voters, you know. I'm not sure whether I want to, you know, vote for a Democratic. Oh my God! Oh wow! They, 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 you know, they threw a they threw a Guatemalan at me. Oh, I better go vote for one. They've been weaponized. I, I suppose from a certain point of view, somebody might look at this and say, "Aha! Actually, this is a good martini." Uh, if you've been listening to this podcast, not every day, but a lot of days, we will look at polling data and say, "Wow, it looks like it's going to be a really good midterm election for Republicans. It's going to be a red wave. It's going to be a red tide. It might be a red tsunami." And this, you know, there already were a whole bunch of issues that were learning really badly for the administration, most notably inflation, um, gas prices, food prices, things like that, supply chain issues. But immigration is one of them, along with crime and all that stuff. And the idea of taking this step, which everybody kind of recognizes was one way to keep illegal immigrants on that side of the border instead of letting them into this side. Um, this is one more way in when even, the you know, a whole bunch of Senate Democrats are like, eh. I don't know if we want to do this. The numbers have pretty much been bad since the start of the Biden administration. They keep getting bad. Central America is not running out of migrants. They just keep, you know, they just keep coming higher, higher numbers. It generally goes up uh, in spring and fall. And sometimes there's a little bit of a trough in that summer months. I don't think there was that much last year. Um, You're going to have really, you know, huge numbers of people trying to come across the border. The news coverage of it is going to go bad for the administration. What is the Biden administration doing here? And at the risk of being a really inside, you know, uh, internet reference, uh, apparently they're screaming Leroy Jenkins and just charging ahead. If you're not familiar with that, because I've seen it around. It took me a while to look it up. So it's apparently when there was this, remember when World of Warcraft was a big thing? Um, There was a player who who had this character he called Leroy Jenkins, and he was part of a team, and they were going to have this very meticulous plan of how they were going to go after the opposing team or enemy or something and he comes back and he ruins the whole plan just by charging straight ahead while screaming his own name that's kind of what it feels like biden is doing right now (laughs) you're very because what everybody in this senate who's vulnerable like yeah guy don't do this keep title 42 and biden just says nah i'm just not going to do that you kind of wonder you know is this um whether this is out of an ideological frenzy whether this is out of a sense of like you know what we're not going to be able to get anything done by January 2023, so we better do everything we can now. Uh, whether it's just kind of stuck on autopilot or grandpa is confused, whatever the reasoning is, Biden is demonstrating zero 
political awareness of how he's doing, how his party's doing, how Democrats in Congress are doing. And he just keeps finding new ways to make the situation worse. So this is a bad martini for the country. I, I, the one hand, you're like, wow, this is really going to make people angry heading into the midterms. And they already seem to be at peak anger, but the country is going to pay the price for this. This is a bad decision. And it is a little unnerving that not even other Democrats can persuade Biden from not pursuing a policy that seems so self-evidently bad for the country. Jim, this is probably impossible to answer, but I think you could have a pretty good guess at it. If Joe Biden's approval rating was around 50%, do you think these Senate Democrats would really be all that upset about this? Only if they were in a border state or they had reason to think that it was a particularly uh, resonant issue in their um, in their district or in their, their state or something like that. But yeah, I think this just kind of adds to uh, an ever greater sense that, you know, the, the leadership in this country is asleep at the wheel. Politico also pointing out that actually Republican governors or actually attorneys general could end up uh, saving the president's uh, bacon on this one, as as Hot Air puts it, uh, because they're trying to get courts to stop the end of Title 42. And if the courts go along with that, then uh, obviously it would stay in place and we wouldn't see the massive surge in addition to the massive surge we're already seeing. I mean, March had the highest number in at least a couple of decades, over 220,000. So uh, Republicans, once again, uh, doing the work that, that Biden won't do. All right, on to our crazy martini now, Jim, and on to CNN Plus. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago when uh, the initial subscription numbers came in, and it was kind of shocking that after this massive buildup, and we find out now that it was about $300 million that CNN spent to to launch all this from, from start to finish, actually start to finish ended up being pretty quick, but uh, $300 million, they brought in Chris Wallace from Fox News, allegedly paying him $9 million a year, Casey Hunt from NBC, a million dollars a year. Uh, but in the end, they only had about 10,000 subscriptions out of the gate. And uh, as a result of that, it's now going to be done at the end of the month. CNN's own tweet yesterday. CNN Plus, the streaming service that was hyped as one of the most significant developments in the history of CNN, will shut down on April 30th, just one month after it launched. I joked in our email today, Jim, that uh, by Brian Williams' math, that means CNN could have given just about every American a million dollars instead of launching CNN Plus. But of course, that, that math wasn't correct. Uh, but Brian Stelter with the chef's kiss in analysis today the situation is honestly really simple, a CNN exec remarked. Two very different strategies for a future caught in the middle of a corporate merger. So it's just just turned out to be a bad time at CNN, Jim. It wasn't that the concept of making people pay for stuff uh, that they didn't want to watch for free was, was not all that good. Greg, listeners know it is not often that I quote Jay-Z, but the <laughs> lyric, grand opening, grand closing, feels really appropriate to this three weeks and change run of CNN+. Plus. Although, as many people are calling it this morning, CNN minus. Um, so, you, you obviously, lots of conservatives will be high-fiving over this. And CNN deserves the mockery they're getting. Um, Chris Wallace really thought he was making a grand career move when he departed Fox News. Made a couple interviews, made very clear. He felt he was not comfortable with the direction the network was heading. It seems like he was really... Uh, vehemently opposed to the sorts of stuff that Tucker Carlson was saying, things like that. And he believed that he was stepping into a grand new uh, venture by CNN. And clearly, you know, I saw the promo with him more than anybody else. So I think he was kind of becoming the face of CNN plus turn CNN minus. And, you know, I think better of Chris Wallace. And I think a lot of other conservatives do. I think they're very angry about that last debate that I think was a disaster 
in part because of Trump's attitude and the way he kept shouting and interrupting and things like that. But I think it's, you know, Chris Wallace definitely over, did not, you know, didn't do his due diligence in digging around how CNN was going to do this, what the likelihood of it surviving after Discovery took over was. And I think in the end, everybody who's looked at this has kind of said, so like, so you're going to ask people for like 60 bucks a year and you're going to give them what? Chris Wallace doing interviews with, you know, kind of meh celebrities, uh, you know, what were you, what was CNN plus going to give viewers that they couldn't get on regular CNN? And the answer was not much. Um, I like, for example, Stanley Tucci's program about uh, searching for Italy. You know, it's kind of a, the replacement to the Anthony Bourdain stuff, but um, I'm not going to pay 60 bucks a month to have access to it. In fact, I think I have it on, on demand on my regular Verizon Fios stuff. Um, what were you, and I, I did a corner post on this, I think it was, you know, a couple of weeks ago. If you're going to have a subscribing service, there's a reason nobody else has really tried a news only subscriber service other than you want to say Fox nation. And I really feel like Fox nation met, you know, the degree to which it succeeded has been because they turned into a, like a tribal identifier. Ironically, maybe MSNBC, uh, would have a better, or maybe even something like, you know, Obviously, I'm no fans of these guys, but Vox or or some sort of icon of the left, um, you might be more likely to get subscribers because you're not really subscribing for the news coverage. You're subscribing because it feels like that's a symbol of being part of your tribe, right? This is who you are. This is what you feel. You feel attached to this. I don't think people felt very attached to CNN+. Plus. This is not to say everything CNN does terrible. And I started thinking, like, what does CNN do? That's like the best they do and that people might be willing to pay extra for. And different listeners, I'm sure a lot of listeners will say, nothing, there's nothing I like on that network. And if I look, it's like, you look at the reporting of Carlissa Ward, one of their international correspondents who's been reporting over the past year on the ground from Afghanistan during the collapse of Kabul and then from Ukraine this year. And it's just some of the most uh, jaw-dropping, riveting, you know, wartime television coverage you're going to find anywhere. Probably the best thing CNN does. I don't know if I'd pay extra to watch Clarissa Ward, you know, live reports from war zones or stuff like that. I think the lesson of this, and you know, as much as people maybe, because there was some question of whether CNN Plus might continue in some form. CNN, at least now, is now owned by Discovery, which owns the Discovery Network, Discovery Channel, and all that kind of stuff. It, a whole bunch of media companies under that, including HBO. HBO has HBO Max. Discovery also has Discovery Plus. So now the plan is, well, wait, we've got two streaming services. Why don't we merge them into one and we'll get even more subscribers? And that's what a lot of people think is going to come down the pike. Nobody knows exactly when or something like that. And the question was, could CNN Plus be one of those? Because I think people would not pay extra for CNN. But if they had CNN as part of one of the other streaming packages, maybe they'd want it. I remember thinking, you know, people don't really pay for television news. It's always been supported by advertising or as part of your, your cable package. I think it's like, you know, was it 50 cents of your pack, your cable package goes to CNN or something like that? But whatever, whatever it is, it's a, your, a small portion of your monthly bill goes to CNN um, for being a, for their programming. And the rest is of their revenue is made up by advertising. You know, the idea that people were going to pay an extra fee just to watch television news I just don't think it's there. I, I just, you know, now here's the thing. Obviously, lots of people proven. Would you pay extra to watch The Mandalorian and Ador Adorable Baby Yoda? Yes, people would pay to do that. Stranger Things, Bridgerton, you know, um, you know I probably are forgetting. But there's probably some show on a streaming service. Like, oh, I love that show. 
And that's why you subscribe. And that's why you pay. And the thing is, you can't watch that show anywhere else. And that's what makes the subscription. That's what drives people to pay for it. With CNN, they didn't have anything that was so unique and so good that people are like, ah, I, I got to pay. I got to see it. And that's the, ultimately the heart of this, of this to collapse. They never really thought through, what do we have that is so good people will pay 60 bucks a year? I mean, they, they, you know, for, for a product they've never had to pay for before. Didn't, didn't work. <clears throat> now, it could live on in some way. It sounds like it won't be CNN Plus. But I wouldn't be surprised if some sort of CNN streaming service ends up being part of this HBO Max Discovery Plus merger thing that comes down the pike someday. Well, I hope Chris uh, Wallace had a, a NFL-type agent so he could get a signing bonus and guaranteed money in that $9 million deal. I'm not sure what they're going to do with him next, but uh, if he doesn't get a show, I'm not sure what, what there is for him to do. The expectation is he'll join the network in some way. They need somebody to replace Chris Cuomo. Sounds like they want to do a hard news, you know, newscast-type show in that hour at 9 p.m. And I think Chris Wallace would be a perfect guy for that. So the question is whether he wants to do something like that, and if so... Uh, but yeah, I could see him. I, I doubt they'll get rid of him. I just think this now is like, all right, so what do we have in our, where do we have a hole in our lineup where we can stick Chris Wallace? They got lots of holes in there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they got to keep up the uh, Chris Wallace, uh, uh, Don Lemon chit chat like Cuomo used to there for like five, 10 minutes at a time. That would be really awkward. Yeah, sure, Don. <laughs> Jim, have a good weekend. See you Monday. See you Monday, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Columbus of Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. Uh, do subscribe to the podcast if you don't already. Tell your friends about us as well. Thank you very much for your five-star ratings and your kind reviews. We always appreciate those. Get us on your home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch Podcast. Follow us on Twitter. Jim is at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great weekend. And please join us again on Monday for the next Three Martini Lunch. This week on the Federalist Radio Hour is it seems like such an obvious problem um, and it seems like such an obvious reality that men and women are different and that it is patently unfair to start letting men compete against women when this is sort of where you have dedicated your lives. I mean, it is just so it seems to me that the denial had to have sort of stemmed from the fact that it seemed impossible that the NCAA would fabricate this junk science and embrace it. I'm Emily Jashinsky of The Federalist. Subscribe to The Federalist on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. 